Well, good morning. Welcome to Odyssey Bible again. Uh, glad that you're here and that we get to celebrate this morning. Uh, Jesus' birth. We're in a series called uh, The God Who Gives. And we're looking at Jesus' uh, generosity to us. Both in his grace, when we get what we don't deserve. And also in his mercy, when we don't get what we do deserve. Uh, all of it is a gift of God. And he is a God who gives. In fact, uh, I didn't make that up. It's right in the Bible, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So that whoever would believe in him would have eternal life. And, and I hope that brings great joy to you. I hope when you sing Joy to the World, when you sing some of those songs, that it's not, Joy to the world, I'm really bored. Just look at my face. I hope it's like, no, joy, joy, joy. Man, I, I hope you sing with joy. That's my prayer for you this week. It's been my prayer. And it will be my prayer this week as we celebrate Christmas in our families and in our church on Christmas Eve. And uh, what we're going to do today is the same that we've done the last couple weeks. Is I'm just going to teach right through this passage. It's a familiar passage. And uh, while I'm teaching through it, maybe you would mark what gifts do you see God give uh, during this, this time? Uh, to, the, to Mary, to Joseph, to the shepherds. He's giving gifts the whole time. I hope you see that this morning. And um, then when we finish, I'll take just a brief amount of time to go back and recognize a few of the gifts that I've noticed, that I've seen uh, God give in this passage. But just a little more intro here before we get going. Do you know that today the story we're going to look at is one of the most widely known stories in human history? It's, it's more well-known, especially in the West, than maybe any other story. If, if you were to ask somebody something about the Bible, they could probably tell you parts of the story that we're looking at today, even if they've never read it. And this is the event that we're going to look at today that billions of people celebrate this time of year every year. Whether they're Christians or not, billions of people celebrate this day that we're going to read about in Scripture together. And they do so by giving gifts, by singing songs, taking vacations, making eggnog, putting up decorations, cutting down a tree and bringing it inside their house, uh, gathering with family, office parties, all kinds, of, all kinds of ways people celebrate this event. Now, they may not always do it uh, in a God-honoring way. But ultimately, the only reason they're doing it is because of the birth of Jesus Christ. That's, who's, that, that's what we get to celebrate this morning. And that's what we're going to look at in the text. We call it Christmas. We celebrate it normally on Christmas Day, December 25th. But the truth is, nobody knows for sure what day Jesus was born. In fact, he probably wasn't born on December 25th, if you want to know the truth. But, but nobody knows with exact clarity. So what happened is, how do we end up with December 25th? Well, long story short, and I'm going to paint with a really broad brush here just to, to give you the overview. There was this celebration already happening in Rome called Saturnalia. And it was the celebration of the winter solstice. And it had evolved into about a week-long celebration. Well, uh, and this is, there's, there's a number of possibilities. This, I think, is the most likely one. Um, Constantine, when he becomes emperor, he becomes a Christian. And he says, hey, if we're going to celebrate this, let's celebrate Jesus' birth on the last day of this festival, which by that time had become uh, December 25th. 
And so he institutes this. And, and this celebration, people celebrated by giving gifts, by taking time off work, by playing games, by being benevolent, uh, all of these things. And it just, it was a good time too to celebrate Jesus' birth because he embodied all of those things. So in a long story short, uh, we're not 100% sure when Jesus was born. And uh, in a sense, Christians said, we're already having this celebration anyway. Let's take it and co-opt it for the king. And that's what they did. Now, some people get all riled up and they say, oh, see, we shouldn't celebrate Christmas. It's a pagan holiday. Well, I think that's kind of a dumb conclusion. And here's why. Because we should celebrate Christmas and not just on Christmas, but we should celebrate Jesus' birth all the time. Everybody in the text you're going to see this morning, you know what they do when Jesus is born? They celebrate. They celebrate. And guess what? Why? Because Jesus was born. His, his birthday is one of great celebration. So whether uh, we celebrate it on Christmas or we celebrate it on the 4th of July, who cares? We're celebrating our king has come. Amen? So it's a good thing to celebrate. Um, everyone celebrates. I just I made a list. When, when they understand what's happening, the angels appear and celebrate in the sky. The shepherds celebrate. Elizabeth celebrates. Mary sings and prophesies. Zechariah celebrates. Simeon takes baby Jesus in his arms and rejoices and celebrates and blesses God. Anna, an old woman, can't quit talking about Jesus' birth to everybody at the temple. The heavens themselves celebrate by putting a new star in the sky and a caravan of wise sages with a whole entourage of people with them come to celebrate Jesus' birth. It's a time of celebration, isn't it? So let's be joyful. Well, this morning we're going to look at this, uh, this event And it's the event, I think, second to uh, Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, uh, the most important event in human history. Uh, In fact, we we, we count time based on this event, right? Why is it the year 2016? Because of Jesus. Because we measure time based on his birth. All of recorded human history hinges on this event. He's the most significant life to have ever lived. Ever. More books have been written of him, more paintings painted of him, more songs sung to him than any other person in human history. And so this morning, we're going to celebrate it by looking at Luke's account. And by the way, one more plug, we're going to celebrate it Saturday night together on Christmas Eve. You're like, why does he keep mentioning that? Because sometimes people don't hear it the first five times I say it. So here's number six. It's Christmas Eve, Saturday, 6 p.m. I really, I'm praying, I'm hoping that you would bring your family, that whatever Christmas traditions you already have as a family, you'd make this part of them. And uh, it's going to be a fun time together. We're going to have cookies and cocoa. The kids are going to be part of the worship team. We're going to have gifts for all the kids as they leave. Uh, It's going to be a blast. So I hope you're here on Saturday night at 6 p.m. But the other reason I mention that is one other thing, and then we're going to get into the text finally. On Saturday night, we're going to take an offering. um, And we'll take our regular offering that night simply because we don't have uh, church on Sunday morning. But the one I really want to draw to your attention is this. Uh, The boys we support in India... Uh, Every year we've provided for them for Christmas. And so what we're going to do going forward is we're going to take that offering on Christmas Eve each year. And in order to provide a Christmas gift and dinner for them. And so we've, we've already actually uh, given the go ahead to Joab saying, yeah, we're going to send the money for that by faith that it'll come in. And uh, what they're going to do is all the boys will get a new change of clothes for Christmas, a new pair of shoes for Christmas, and they'll get to have Christmas dinner together. Wouldn't that be cool? 
And so we'll take that offering on Saturday night. So you might want to be prepared for that. Uh, But this is last year when I was there handing out Christmas gifts about a month early to all the boys. And I'm telling you, they were excited. And so your gift can make a difference in their lives. Just uh, it costs about $25 uh, to $30, actually right around $30, excuse me, for all this for these boys. And uh, so I found out there's 65 boys now in the orphanage. They just keep packing them in. And uh, so if you want to support a boy, $20 a month, you can do that as well. And all of that, that uh, those funds go to that. And uh, anyway, I just wanted to make sure that you knew ahead of time before Saturday night. All right, let me pray and then let's get into our Bible. Sound good? Let me pray. Father, thanks for Jesus. And uh, Jesus, thanks for coming. Uh, you certainly came knowing uh, what was in front of you. You knew the sorrow and the hurt that you would bear on the cross. You knew uh, my own sin that you would have to die for, um, past, present, and future. And yet you still came. And that speaks to your unbelievable love for me and for us. So, Holy Spirit, might you use that to spark joy in our hearts and smiles on our faces and uh, just rejoicing among our church. I pray against the enemy, uh, his servants, their works and effects. Instead, Holy Spirit, would you give us joy, change us, uh, teach us from your word today. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 2. Here's how it begins. Let's just kind of work through this passage together. Uh, Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Do you know Luke is the only gospel writer who relates the events that he writes about to human history? He mentions uh, here Caesar Augustus and in a, in a moment the governor Quirinius. And Luke was, was a detailed guy and he was writing to a predominantly Greek audience uh, that would have been interested in and familiar with the political situation of the day. Um, the Romans ruled the area of Israel, of Palestine, and, and the emperor, Caesar Augustus, he was one of, the, one of the greatest Roman rulers. He was a good administrator. He was fastidious about the financial accounting of his empire. He ended the civil war in the land, and he brought peace. And the Roman rulers, the, the emperors, were considered to be like gods. And this is a huge contrast with what Luke is about to tell us, that the king of the universe is going to come as a little baby wrapped in a manger. Well, Luke tells us that there was, uh, that he put out a decree that all the world should be registered. In other words, that a census should be taken. Well, why did they take censuses? Well, uh, to aid in the military and in, and in taxes. See, if, if you were a Jewish person in the Roman rule, you weren't required to serve in the Roman army, but you were required to pay your taxes. That's why Jesus later gets questioned by people who say, I'm not paying taxes to that evil regime. And Jesus is like, "Uh, whose head is on the coin? So give to Caesar what's his, pay your taxes, and then honor me with what you have left. And uh, it's, it's the same situation here. The Jews didn't have to serve in the army, but they couldn't avoid paying taxes. And what's curious here is Mary was, we saw last week, was from a little town to the north called Nazareth. How is she going to end up in Bethlehem to fulfill the prophecy of Malachi that, that the, the baby would be born in Bethlehem? Well, by God's sovereign rule over history. He makes sure that there is a census to be taken. 
And so what happens? Well, Luke goes on. He says, this was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. Um, I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but any skeptic of the gospel would say, well, Quirinius wasn't governor of Syria until 86, until six years, you know, six to 10 years later. So how did this happen? I think Luke is a liar. Well, a long story short, like anything where we come to a contradiction, there's, there's every time there's a good explanation for it and a good answer from Scripture. Uh, a few that I would give you, um, uh, one is it's possible that Quirinius uh, was the administrator of the census in that area. And so by the time Luke writes this, Quirinius is the governor. And so they call him governor in the text so that people know who he's talking about. That's probably the most likely explanation. Um, the other is just that censuses took a long time to complete. And, and taxation could have come much later. But in any case, we won't spend a lot of time there. And, and Luke goes on in verse 3. He says, all went to be registered, each to his own town. Now, the Roman uh, policy was not that you had to go to your hometown to be registered. But what, what you find out about the Roman government at the time is they allowed religious freedom among the people so that, to a degree, to where, to where the people, they would tolerate it at least. And so they would tolerate the Jewish people following their traditions where they would take their censuses and their counting by going back to their ancestral towns. It's not clear that it was necessarily a requirement of the Roman government. Probably not. But the Jewish people would do this simply because that's the way they had always done it. And it was traditional Jewish practice. So they went to their own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to the city of Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Because he was of the house and lineage of David. So Joseph goes up from Galilee. And if you're like me, when you think going up, you think of a map and you think, oh, he went north, right? No, he, he went up means in the Bible, when you read he went up or he went down, literally up or down. So he's going up in elevation to Jerusalem and then up to the city of David in Bethlehem uh, because he was of the house of David. And so curious, Jesus adopted daddy Joseph uh, is going to bring to Jesus a kingly heritage through King David. Well, verse 5 says he went to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who is with child. Hold on. Mary's ancestral town isn't Bethlehem. It's Nazareth. Why is she going along? They're not married yet. Well, betrothal in this day is, uh, is more than engagement today, but less than marriage today. I told you last week that what would happen is uh, a, a Jewish man would go to his bride-to-be and he would basically ask her to marry him. And he'd say, okay, wait here. I'm going to prepare a place for you. you go to his father's house, add on rooms, go back at an unannounced time, grab his bride, bring her to be with him to live in his father's house. <laughs> Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Uh, Jesus says, wait here. I'm going to prepare a place for you. For in my father's house, there's many rooms. And I'm coming back. Be ready to get you at an unannounced time. And that's what happens in, in Jewish marriage. But that betrothal, to get out of it, was the same as getting out of marriage. It was equivalent to divorce. See, the marriage was inaugurated with betrothal, and it was consummated at the wedding. Just like our salvation is inaugurated with uh, Jesus' work on the cross, and it'll be consummated when he comes and makes us totally new one day. That'll be a great day. So he goes with Mary, his betrothed, with child, and they head to Bethlehem. And while they're there, the time came for her to give birth. So what does this tell you about Mary? How pregnant is she? 
very pregnant, very pregnant. She's all baby at this point, right? That's, that's Mary. So, so last year, a year ago, Hannah and I were talking about this yesterday. She goes, you know, I'm so glad that I'm not miserable and pregnant this year for Christmas. Because Charlie was born two days later. He was due on Christmas Eve, and then he came on the 27th. And one of the things, though, is um, they advise you when you're very pregnant after like the sixth month, you got to be careful how much you travel, don't you? you? In fact, most airlines won't let you get on a plane after six months of being pregnant unless, unless you're a good liar and you're not showing very much. Um, why? Because that, that travel can can be hard on, on your body and can induce labor and can cause all kinds of complications. The last thing they want to do is have to give birth to a baby in the air. So, so there was a travel restriction. And uh, don't, don't travel too far, the doctor would say in these last weeks. Stay close to home. Be close to the hospital. Watch out where you go. But Joseph and Mary didn't have a choice, did they? It was a decree that they had to take off for the census. So they go to Bethlehem. Now, so what did they do? Bethlehem, the distance to Bethlehem would be like from here to Kokomo, from where they were at in Nazareth, right? So they just, they hop in the car. Uh, Mary just leans the seat back and they just, they just take, um, take the highway down. About an hour later, they get to, to Bethlehem, right? That's how it happened, right? Not so much. Not so much. No, they either walked or as some of the paintings you've seen show, Mary's riding a donkey and Joseph is walking, leading her. Uh, Mary rode on a colt or a donkey, possibly. And they weren't there for long. And Luke tells us that while they're there, the time came for, for, came for her to give birth. So again, she's very pregnant. Now, ladies, I have a question for you if you've given birth. Imagine you're nine months pregnant. Which would you rather do? Would you rather walk to Kokomo with your husband? Or would you rather ride on a colt or a donkey to Kokomo with your husband? <laughs> Neither, right? Yeah. No way. That'd be the last trip with your husband, wouldn't it? Can you imagine? Put yourself in Mary's spot. And you wonder why God chose young people who are ignorant, maybe, of the whole situation to carry out his will. Um, so they go that far. And by the way, it's, so it's 70 to 80 miles, and they went up to Bethlehem. Uh, Bethlehem is about 2,600 feet above sea level. So it's not just a long trip and a bumpy trip on a donkey or walking. It's up a mountain to get there. Wow. Wow. Well, what we're talking about here then too, when Mary gives birth, is what's often referred to as the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, right? You read about that, that he was born to a virgin. When we talk about the virgin birth, really what we're talking about is the virgin conception of Jesus and sadly, there's some churches who have abandoned this and said, ah, that really doesn't matter that he was born of a virgin. Well, I think it matters quite a bit. It matters quite a bit. And the reason it matters is, is a few different reasons. And, and by virgin conception, we mean that he didn't have an earthly father. Miraculously, uh, Mary gave birth because of the Holy Spirit. And, and we hold this, you just need to know, if, if, is this an open hand or closed hand issue? Virgin birth is a closed fisted issue. It's a closed fisted one. And here's why. If Mary wasn't a virgin, the Bible's not true. Because the Bible says that she was. If she wasn't a virgin, then prophecy's unfulfilled. Because prophecy dictated that, that Jesus, the Messiah, would be born to a virgin. Then prophecy's untrue. And it's unfulfilled. It hasn't happened yet. 
If Mary wasn't a virgin, you know what else? She's a liar. She's a liar. She lied about where this baby came from. And if Mary wasn't a virgin, uh, Jesus is just a normal guy. He's just a normal guy. It's not God come in the flesh. It's just a typical teenage out of wedlock pregnancy. And Jesus is just another guy. In short, if the virgin birth didn't happen, if the virgin conception didn't happen, the whole story is a sham. And us being here is a sham. But it's true. It's true. See, look at verse 7. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in swaddling clothes and swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Luke just goes right through the story. He, he says, Mary gave birth to her firstborn son, and then she swaddled him and laid him down. When, when Charlie was born last year in the, in the hospital, he came out, uh, he laid uh, with Hannah uh, for an hour or so, and then the nurse comes and they swaddle, clean him up, swaddle him up, and lay him in the heated bassinet, right? That's probably what happened to Jesus too, right? I mean, in the hospital, he just got wrapped up and then laid down, weighed, and then given some shots and laid down, right? That's how it worked. I don't, I don't think so. Look, look. Um, she wrapped him in swaddling cloths. Okay, we got that. But look where she laid him. It was in a manger. In a manger. When I was a, when I was a little boy, my great-grandma had this manger scene that I would always, I loved helping her set up when I was little. And we'd, we'd set it up and it had the kind of this wood lean-to, you know, and all the little figurines. And we'd set it all up. And in my mind, that was the manger, the manger scene. It was like this, uh, this kind of half shed, half pole barn, half something that, that Jesus was in when he was born. That was the manger. Well, the manger, many of you know this, the manger isn't the, the shelter. The manger is the feeding trough where he was laid. And it's likely then Jesus was born in a cave or a grotto of some sort. Because that's where the animals would have been kept. And then he's laid, he's wrapped up, he's laid uh, in the feeding trough where the horses and the cattle would have eaten their food. Um, Luke says this was because there was no place for them in the inn. I don't know about you, but often growing up, hearing this story, I thought of it like this. That so, so Mary and Joseph, they head to Bethlehem. They get there, and uh, they, they start knocking on the door, or knocking on the door. They go into the lobby you know, of each of the hotels. They, they tried the Motel 6 and uh, the, the Super 8, and then they're like, okay, well, we're going to have to spend some money. So we go to the Holiday Inn Express, and, and everywhere they go, they're just, there's, there's no place for them. And that's possible that it was an inn like that, a, a place where you would have gone and paid because people would have been traveling for the census and that they were all full, a well-known place. That, that's a possibility. I think it's a more likely thing, though, that this inn wasn't like what we think of an inn or a hotel or a motel, uh, but it's likely an extra room or rooms on the homes of some of Joseph's family. See, the Greek word here for inn literally means guest room. That's literally what it means. It means there was no place for them in the guest room or in the guest rooms. Now, I'm not sure if you have people joining you for Christmas or not this year. If you do, there's something Saturday night. You could bring them to Christmas Eve. <laughs> but I don't know if you do or not. But imagine you've got a nephew, right? And his uh, fiance is with him and she's pregnant. And like really pregnant. Nine months pregnant. She could go at any time. 
and, but your house is so full and you weren't expecting them, but here they are. And oh, what do we do? How many of you would make room for the pregnant niece to be in your home? Would you do it? I think you probably would. Even if maybe you had issues with them, you, you would make room for them, wouldn't you? But if I'm right, and this is a guest room on the house of some of Joseph's family, what does that tell you about the way they viewed Joseph and Mary? Nine months pregnant. I'm sorry. We don't have spots for you guys. Too bad. Shame upon shame for them, right? Hurt upon hurt. I mean, even if my house was packed, I'd make room. Most of you, I think, would make room, but not her family. There's that girl. She claims the boy is from the Lord, right? Sure, Mary. And who ever heard of a pregnant virgin? Either she's lying and she cheated on Joseph or they're both lying. Ouch. Um, Whether this is the case or not, this is what Mary would have faced for most of her life. This type of scorn and shame. And you and I know wounds like this are hard to heal, aren't they? Especially from family. And they're slow to heal. And sometimes they just never do. And and Mary would have carried this burden with her for a lifetime. Why? All because she said yes to Gabriel, yes to the Lord last week when we looked at that text. And she said, behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Be it unto me as according to your word. That's great faith of a 14, 13-year-old girl in Mary. And Mary, while she wasn't a perpetual virgin like uh, the Roman Catholics would teach, or, or sinless, like they would teach, uh, she was an exceptional woman. Did you know that? She was an exceptional woman. And from a young age, she followed the Lord. And for a lifetime, she would have borne a cross of scorn and frustration and sadness and sorrow. Yet she trusts God through all of it, doesn't she? Hey, I... Maybe this would be an encouragement to you. I was thinking of some of these things this week. uh, Because more and more, every year as I look at Mary's life, more and more I have respect for her. And more and more I just go, wow, what an incredible young woman. If you've ever found yourself suffering, you might find great affinity with Mary. Maybe it's due to the harsh or ill-conceived words of others. I'm sure Mary faced many. Maybe it's just with depression Or people disbelieving and discrediting you like they probably did Mary. Maybe it's facing the threat of divorce. Mary faced that, didn't she? Or maybe if you were a teenage out-of-wedlock parent like Mary. Or if you suffered the loss of a spouse. See, it's likely that uh, we don't read of anything of Joseph after Jesus' childhood. And so it's likely then that Joseph probably passed away sometimes while, while Jesus was growing up. Maybe you've you've suffered by seeing your child mistreated by others or even the horror of of watching your child suffer at someone else's hands or even maybe you've lost a child. Then you might find great consolation and affinity with this young girl, Mary. She was an exceptional servant of the Lord. And I find myself even this week admiring her more and more as I study and consider her life. Well, Luke turns his attention now to some other things happening in the region. And uh, it says, in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping, over their, 
keeping watch over their flock by night. So same region nearby, near to Bethlehem. And there were shepherds out in the field. Did you know shepherds were often young, uh, maybe junior high aged boys? Those are certainly the ones who would have tended the sheep out in the field were. Um, In fact, remember David? This is his ancestral town, so maybe let's look at the lineage here. Do you remember David back in 1 Samuel? Uh, Samuel comes, Saul had been king, but he uh, turned his back on the Lord. So the the Lord said to Samuel, the prophet, I I need you to anoint someone else to be king in Saul's place. And you're going to find him in Bethlehem in the house of Jesse. And so Samuel says, okay. So he goes to, to Jesse's house and Jesse has a handful of boys and each of them comes out. And in fact, the text in, in 1 Samuel chapter 16, Samuel saw his first one, Eliab, one of Jesse's sons, and he thought, surely, looking at this guy, surely the Lord's anointed is before me. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't look on his appearance or the height of his stature. I've rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees, but man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And so Samuel goes through each of the boys. Samuel, or Jesse brings them all in, and uh, they're all lined up. And Samuel's like, no, it's none of these guys. Do you have another son? Do you know what Jesse says? He goes, well... He says to Jesse, are all of your sons here? And he said, well, the youngest isn't here, but he's out keeping the sheep. Why was he keeping the sheep? Because he was the youngest. And that was the grunt work. And that's where the youngest one would have been, keeping the sheep. It's likely the shepherds here, uh, maybe descendants of David, were keeping, were young men keeping the sheep. And it's almost certainly, like I said, they were if they were watching him at night. Think about it, young, junior high-aged boys, 12, 13, maybe 14 years old, somewhere to marry. In in my imagination, I think of uh, a crew like all the boys on the sandlot. And they're sitting out tending the flock, and uh, they're telling stories about how one of them, oh, I saw a lion, and I, I took my sling, and I pegged him right between the eyes, and I killed him and cut off his head just like David did. I did that. Oh, yeah, well, I killed, they're telling their, I don't know, I just, I put myself in the spot. What, what, are, what are boys this age telling each other, doing at night while they're watching their sheep and having time pass? Or they're throwing rocks, whatever, and, and all of a sudden, look at verse 9. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Wow. Maybe right in the middle of a story of some heroic battle with a wild animal. Boom! An angel of the Lord and the glory of the Lord shone around them. Probably Gabriel again. And the angel says to them, he says, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And then suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, the boys say, Let's go to Bethlehem and and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So all the boys regroup and they're like, okay, we got to run into town. We got to tell people what we just saw. Junior high boys. 
Jake, I talked to you before the service. I said I was going to call on you. You brave? You can, you can stay right there. You don't have to go anywhere. You can just kind of yell at me, okay? So, Jake, if you were out with your buddies camping in the backyard at your house, right? Jake is 13, is that right, Jake? 12. 12, going to be 13. And, and you're out camping in the yard, and this happens. You're sitting outside. You're telling stories around the campfire, and then, whoosh, glory of the Lord, bright light, angel in the sky talking to you. And then a whole bunch of angels saying, glory to God, and just like big shouting. And you walked in and told your mom and dad sitting right next to you. And you walked in and you said, mom, you, gotta, you can't believe what just happened. Would they believe you? No. <laughs> he told me this morning, he goes, no way, no chance. <laughs> it's probably just a dream. Karina, Darren, would you believe him? No. So imagine these little, these, these junior high age boys around Jake's age come running into town after seeing this vision, vision, telling everyone and looking for this baby who's wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. How many people went, what is wrong with these boys? They've gone crazy. The youth today, unbelievable, right? I mean, what are they thinking? I'm telling you, I really think that that's, this is the case that these are young boys, teenage boys that the angel appears to. And the angels appear too. And they run in, I just imagine, they run into town all out of breath. We, we, we were out in the field and then we were, we were telling a story and then, blah, blah, blah. And then this angel appeared and, and they're talking 100 mile an hour and they're, slow down, slow down, tell me the story. Slow down. Okay, well, long story short, um, the Savior's born, Messiah, and he's, he's, he's in a manger. We gotta find him. Have you seen him? And they go telling everybody the story. And finally, they went with haste. It says, verse 16, they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. They were running. They went with haste. They find one of the stables, probably a cave. The feed trough is a baby. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. So they tell Mary and Joseph their story. Maybe they even woke Mary up. Maybe she is, I don't know how soon after the birth this was. Maybe she's sleeping, resting. And everyone who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Are these boys telling the truth? There would have been a whole buzz in this small town, especially Joseph's closer family members who had no room for them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Mary said a handful of times to ponder things in her heart. And I think she just remembers them. She feels thankful for them. She blesses the Lord for them. Do you treasure things in your heart? Certain gifts that God's given you? Events in your life? Um, it could, could be a lot of things. Your, your, your wedding day, if you're married. If you're, you're a parent, maybe the birth of your children. Um, Maybe it's just an encouraging word. There, there's a handful of times where people have said just the right thing to me at just the right time that I needed it, never knowing what had been going on below the surface that day. And I could name a few of them for you, but I won't. And I treasure those things in my heart and I bless the Lord for them. Do you do that? Turning your thoughts to him, thanking him for the good gifts that he gives. I hope you do. That's clearly what Mary does here. Well, the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for everything, for all they had seen and heard, just as it had been told them. 
And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. So just briefly, as we wrap up here, here's a, here's a few gifts that I notice in the text of God's grace and mercy to Mary and Joseph and to these shepherd boys. The first is to Mary and Joseph that, that God gave them what they needed when they needed it. He gave them just what they needed just when they needed it. Now, in the moment, if you had gone to Joseph and to Mary when there was no place for them to stay, I wondered how they would have responded. Would they have, would they have thought that that was a gift from God that he gave them what they needed? What do you mean he gave us what we needed? There's no place for us. We're facing all kinds of ridicule from people who are supposed to love us and be our family. But he did. He still gave them shelter, didn't he? He still gave them a place for the baby to lay its head. He gave them safety. It may not have been exactly what they had hoped for, exactly what they thought, but God still gave them what they needed when they needed it, didn't he? And I wonder, maybe after the baby was born, they sat there and they're like, we're all alone, now what? It, I, I had that feeling, you're driving home with a little baby, oh boy, it's real now. Now what? And they're sitting there in a cave With this newborn baby, now what? God in the flesh, now what? And then they hear the rustling of these little shepherd boys running up, screaming, telling the story. And uh, God gave them encouragement just when they needed it, didn't he? And all throughout their lives, you see that over and over. God gives them just what they need, just when they needed it. Another gift I see of God in this story Uh, especially to the shepherd boys, is he gave a glimpse of his glory. Did you notice that when the angel appeared to them, what else happened in the sky? The glory of the Lord shone around them. That doesn't happen very often in the biblical text. That's a rare, rare thing. Moses saw the glory of the Lord. Some of the disciples saw it on, uh, with Jesus later in his life on the Mount of Transfiguration. It's, it's rare that the glory of the Lord shows for all to see. And these young boys, uh, students, if you don't think your life matters because you're young, boy, you need to read the Bible. Because <laughs> God cares in a big way. He uses young people. They got a glimpse of his glory. Uh, Now, I don't know about you. I've never had the glory of the Lord shine around me like that, you know, when I'm outside doing something and the sky lights up. But I've seen God at work. Have you? Have you had those moments where you go, that's of the Lord? Or times in worship and in singing or in teaching and you go, I just, I I know the Lord's always present. I know that's true. But for some reason, I just sense him in a powerful way today. That's a gift of God. It's not always normal because sometimes uh, the Lord seems very distant from us. And life seems very hard because life is hard. Um, But sometimes he gives that gift of a, a glimpse of who he is. Cherish those things. And then finally, the third one that I notice, and maybe you've seen some of these in your notes as well, but God gave great joy. He gave great joy. He gives great joy today as you trust him and as you follow him. He does. 
He does. Mary and Joseph, Mary was leaping and, and giddy with joy after it was announced to her that she would bear a son. Uh, the, the shepherds, the, these boys out attending their flocks were filled with great joy, so much joy that they went running into town with haste, telling everybody what they had seen. My prayer for you is uh, that you would know and experience the joy of the Lord. That maybe you've never trusted Jesus and you need to repent of your sin and become a Christian, turn from your ways, turn to Jesus. Um, but maybe you've been following him for a long time and uh, you've allowed yourself, like many of us do during different seasons of our life, to get into this just routine rhythm and never uh, stirring the pot by, by reading his word and spending time in prayer and focusing on the good gifts that God gives that bring joy. Maybe this Christmas, that's, that's the gift you need is simply digging into his word, spending time with him in prayer, uh, repenting of your sin and receiving his joy. It's my prayer for our church. We're heading into a time right after the new year of uh, a journey together, right? 30 for 30 celebrating 30 years of what God has done, looking forward to the next 30. And um, I'm praying every day about that, that it's a time of great joy for us as a church. Would you pray that with me? You're gonna get a newsletter in the mail this week and that's gonna be one of the prayer requests on there is pray for great joy in our church. With that, let me pray. And what we're gonna do now is we're gonna take our offerings. You can stay seated. And uh, after the offering, you can stand while we're singing. And while you're standing, uh, we're going to pass the elements for communion. And we'll take that together standing. And then uh, we'll close in song and call it a morning. Sound good? Let me pray. Uh, Father, thanks for Jesus. And thanks for the gifts that you give us. Gifts of grace and gifts of mercy. Um, and Lord, thanks for the gifts that we've seen uh, you give to Mary and Joseph. And they're all gifts that you give to us too. Giving us what we need when we need it. Uh, providing for us. Giving us uh, uh, just a, a great joy. A, a glimpse of who you are. And so Father, I pray this morning that this season we'd be a church. Uh, both at Christmas and in the coming year that's marked with just great joy. Father, we love you. We thank you for Jesus. And we pray all of this through him. Amen.